What's up, everyone? This is Burton and Aaron from Lost in the Dark podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. Hey everybody, what's going on? Hello everyone. Michelle, where are we at now? Episode what? Oh, this is episode 16. Episode 16. And what are we calling this one? This one we are calling The Weary Traveler. Ooh, yes. The Weary Traveler. Because who do we have on tonight? We have Richard Serrett. You guys are going to love this episode. But first of all, I want to give a huge shout out and a thank you to everybody in the Facebook group and everybody who's listening to the podcast because it is just continuing to grow by leaps and bounds. We are amazed every time we go ahead and record a new podcast and the numbers are just skyrocketing. So thank you very much. Keep sharing us out, letting your friends and family know that might be interested in UFOs and paranormal topics to give us a listen. Yeah, I know that Wayne had to do all the accepting of the members for a couple days because good old Facebook. Somebody got put in Facebook jail. I got put in Facebook jail for changing my password. Yeah, it was right after that whole debacle with the uh, Facebook blackout or whatever they're calling it. The the six-hour pause of Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, so... I got paused for two additional days. Mental note. If Facebook goes down for any length of time, do not change your password when it comes back up. You might get banned. (laughs) Get put in Facebook jail. Facebook jail. You are just an innocent bystander. This is where we should have like the the sound of clinking bars. So, Michelle, I think we have a story tonight for Communication Corner. Is that true? We do. We've got a story from a young lady by the name of Chloe. So if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief story of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. Yes. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast, we do have a merchandise store. You can find that at miufopodcaststore.online. And we have some pretty cool swag over there for you guys with original artwork. We've got the coffee mugs. We got t-shirts. You name it, it's over there. So go ahead and check that out. You want to rock out with an alien on the front of your shirt. Everybody wants an alien on the front of their shirt. 
So once again, that's M-I-U-F-O podcast store. That's all one word dot online. All right, Michelle, I think it's that time. Let's just get right into this. It's time for what's in the news. What is in the news? In the news today, we've got massive comet as large as a small planet barreling toward our solar system. <laughs> Only in 2021. Right. I think uh, it's saying, hold my beer. Oh, this is definitely a, oh, 2020, hold my beer. I got this. So a massive comet so large that scientists had previously mistaken it for a dwarf planet, you know, like Pluto, is hurling through space toward our solar system and is expected to arrive in about 10 years, new research revealed. The Bernardinelli-Bernstein Comet is an estimated to be 60 to 120 miles across, 1,000 times larger than a traditional comet, astronomers said when its discovery was first announced in June. It is arguably the largest comet discovered in modern times, scientists said. The comet poses no threat to Earth. It will pass the sun at its closest in 20 31 at a distance of 10.71 astronomical units, putting it just beyond the orbit of Saturn. And just for clarification, an astronomical unit is the distance from the sun to the Earth, which equates to about 93 million miles. So the comet's journey began an estimated 40,000 AU from the sun, deep in the mysterious Oort cloud. Scientists said the comet could be the largest object from the Oort cloud ever detected, and it is the first comet on an incoming path to be detected so far away. Astronomers began studying the object six years ago when no tail or coma, mm -hmm. typical of comets, was detected. Continued research over the last three years revealed the presence of a tail confirming the object as a comet. Despite being so relatively close and so large, a telescope will still be necessary to see the object, scientists said. It is not believed to have ever been seen by humans before, predating our existence last time it flew by but it will be making a much closer approach to the sun on this trip and orbit analysis revealed. We have the privilege of having discovered perhaps the largest comet ever seen, or at least larger than any well-studied one, and caught it early enough for people to watch it evolve as it approaches and warms up, said Gary Bernstein of the University of Pennsylvania, who discovered the object with colleague Pedro Bernardinelli. And then this final quote, it has not visited the solar system in more than 3 million years. That's a big comet. Oh, that one breaks up fast. Actually, you don't want it to break up. Oh. Then you'll have all the pieces floating around. Oh, that is true. That is why we have meteor showers twice a year because of a large comet that broke up in the path of our orbit. So please just go on by, stay away from Saturn. But if it gets too close to those bigger planets like Jupiter or Saturn, those gra that gravity is going to work on that comet and start breaking it apart. But 
We'll see how that goes. We got 10 years. Let's not worry about it now. <laughs> All right, Michelle, I think we should get into some shout outs. What do you think? That sounds like a plan to me. So first we have the Band of Bearded Brothers. We're just two brothers with beards who enjoy good conversation, coffee, and debating the great mysteries of the world. This includes, but is not limited to, politics, aliens, reality, human control, and manipulation through many outlets. Are you sure your reality is real? Are you sure what you believe to be truth is true? Will we be a multi-planet species soon? Will AI rule the world in the next 10 years? Will we be able to live through our consciousness being downloaded for hundreds of years to come? Are we already part cyborgs and unaware? All right. Next, we have the UFO Garage. So the UFO Garage is a podcast about UFOs, aliens, and all things weird. The UFO Garage podcast is a fun, laid-back approach to the UFO, UAP, alien phenomenon. We love chatting with interesting people, hearing strange stories, and having a beer or two. Hosted by Joe and Ben. Or three. (laughs) Or four beers. They are dudes. You're a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. We're all dudes. Yeah, so go and check out the UFO Garage. Next, we have the Lost in the Dark podcast hosted by Burton and Aaron. This is a pretty cool podcast that bills itself as an attempt to capture incredible conversations between best friends as we explore all of our passions, but especially music and the world of heavy metal. So if you're into paranormal investigations and loud heavy metal music, give them a listen. Strong language. But it's heavy metal and the paranormal. What else would you expect? And last but not least, we have Christina Gomez and the Shifting the Paradigm podcast. This podcast features a weekly interview and chat show that focuses on a wide variety of mysterious topics related to UFO, UAP sightings, and the possibility of alien visitation in the present and the past. Christina Gomez interviews researchers, witnesses, enthusiasts, and field investigators on their own pursuits of the truth behind the mysteries. Also included is Christina's new show called Mysteries with a History, where Christina will be covering a wide variety of topics from unexplained disappearances to UFO sightings to encounters with bizarre creatures, and so much more that can come under the umbrella of the extraordinary, the strange, the paranormal, and the supernatural. All right, Michelle, I see that we have uh, received some communications from some listeners. We do, and tonight we have a story that we'd like to share from a young lady. Um, Her name is Chloe, and she writes... I have an experience I've yet to be able to explain, and it's actually sparked my curiosity. About six years ago, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I somehow made myself sleep for two days. It was the weirdest thing ever because I slept for eight hours, woke up, and just felt super tired, so went to sleep where I then slept and woke up at like 2 a.m. the next day. When I woke up again feeling tired, I then fell asleep until that evening, and it was the absolute weirdest thing I ever experienced in my life. And the whole time I'm sleeping, 
I was legit having all these dreams where I meet aliens and they tell me what planet they're from. I'm not kidding. I was hearing just people talking like a bunch of them, like I was at a party or something. And then this voice started speaking in old English and I asked it its name and it started with a J and the name was weird. And that's when I woke up and I felt normal again. Weirdest thing ever that I have ever experienced. My question is how in the world does my brain know old English for it to be processing actual words in my dream? I don't even know old English. That sounds like a 100% abduction scenario. That sounds like to me this, this Chloe person was abducted. Now, one of the first things I would have suggested, I don't know how long ago this was, there's not a lot of uh, details to the time and date, but you know, looking for any kind of strange marks or soreness on the body that might have provided some information or clues as to whether this was a real abduction or not, but it does sound like one. Or some weird, you know, medical emergency to be that exhausted. I mean, when you've felt perfectly fine up until that point. Right. And then it's just sheer, like, I'm going to sleep for hours, you know, phone is off, everyone leave me alone sort of scenario. Well, that was definitely an interesting story. And we will go ahead and post that up in our Facebook group. And uh, if you want to add in some comments to me, though, it sounds like a an abduction. It's It's definitely something. All right, Michelle, I think we're going to jump over to our special guest, Mr. Richard Serrett. This is fantastic. I was so excited to get a radio show and podcast host who is also an occasional weekend host of the awesome Coast to Coast AM radio show. Uh, And like he's going to tell everyone, this sounds like it's going to be his last podcast interview. Yeah, he did mention that our show was going to be the last interview that he does because he is so busy with his podcast and his weekend radio show that this was going to be the last one that he did. So we are super grateful and thankful that Richard could take some time for us and come on our podcast little podcast and and talk to our audience and us about his views and some of the things that he's learned on the UFO subject. So it was really fantastic. So Michelle, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Mr. Richard Serrett. Absolutely. An accomplished teller of spellbinding tales and a fixture on Toronto airwaves for two decades This veteran broadcaster made his bones as a keen interviewer in the arena of the unexplained. Richard is a regular guest host on Coast to Coast AM, the most listened to late night radio program in the world. He is also the host of his own weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, heard in about 40 markets across North America. His TV program, also called The Conspiracy Show, aired across Canada, Australia, parts of Europe, and Africa for four seasons. In 2013, he co-starred in a pilot for the Discovery Channel in the U.S. 
called The United States of Paranoia, which investigated claims of electronic harassment and mind control. His popular podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, garners nearly 400,000 unique downloads per month. Previously, he was the creator, writer, and host of the critically acclaimed podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, on Westwood One and the Chris Jericho Podcast Network. He is a much sought-after expert on all things unexplained and has appeared on numerous TV series, including William Shatner's Weird or What, National Park Mysteries, and Freak Encounters. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's welcome Richard Serrett to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the podcast today, we have with us, straight out of his audio imaginarium, a weary traveler hanging his cloak on a peg and grabbing a stool to gather around our fire. He has stories that need to be told, and he is among friends. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Mr. Richard Serrett to the podcast. Richard, thank you for joining us. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. Thank you, Wayne and Michelle. Great to be here. Um, We are so happy to have you on. And one of the first questions, and I know that you are very busy and uh, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on our show, but I want to jump right into this. What was it that pulled you into the conspiracy, paranormal, UFO, UAP realm? What is your why? You're going to be disappointed, I think. I've never seen a UFO. I've never been abducted by aliens, as far as I know. Um, Since I started the show, now upon reflection, I've had a couple of paranormal encounters. And time permitting, we can talk about those paranormal experiences or unexplained experiences. Um, But my, my original entree into this field was really based on self-interest and, and kind of a mercenary consideration. I was a, a an on-air and off-air talk show producer for a number of years before I got behind the microphone and I was producing current affairs, the news, uh, a provincial budget would come down and I had to round up guests and if, you know, or uh, there'd be a teacher strike or whatever was happening in the news. That's what we talked about on a, a blowtorch station up in Canada, CFRB, 50,000 watts. It was a heritage station, been on the air since 1927. In those days, in the early 90s, AM radio meant something. It was a big deal. And that was my, one of my first jobs right out of, of college. And so that was sort of the environment in, what, in, in, in which I, I learned and developed my, my skills. And I worked with some real luminaries up here in Canada, broadcasting legends, really. So I was very fortunate. And then I was handed a Sunday night show by the program director. They had this philosophy. They wanted to promote people from within, which was terrific. And, and uh, so here I was, um, my very first talk show on North America's fifth largest radio market. And I had to figure out what am I going to do with this two hours every Sunday night? And I didn't want to talk about what everyone else was talking about on the station, which was the news and current affairs. Not that that's not important. It's vitally important. But there were people that were, had been in the business for 50 years that were doing it far better than I could ever imagine doing it. And so I had to figure out, you know, slowly it kind of evolved. And um, in dribs and drabs, 
the 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 supernatural, the unexplainable, the conspiracies kind of insinuated themselves into the show. And finally, I just realized this is what people want to hear. Other than my little humble chat show on a Sunday night in Toronto, there wasn't much else. There was Art Bell, of course. He was it. And I knew about Art Bell. I listened to Art Bell. He was, to me, he was like the consummate broadcaster. It didn't matter what he was talking about. It was the way he talked about it. He, I always say this, but I could listen to Art Bell read the telephone directory and I would have been captivated. That's the skill set that he had. And, um, but aside from that, so he was, he was providing a service to uh, the audience. You know, radio is the manufacturing business. What do you do? You manufacture an audience. So he was manufacturing a huge audience in this field. And up here in Canada, aside from Art Bell, that audience was not being serviced. There was a huge interest. And I, I remember, you know, as a kid watching Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of mm-hmm. and, you know, watching cinema, ghost, uh, ghost stories and, and, and things like that. And, and uh, so I just eventually kind of tapped into that. So, Again, it wasn't born out of a personal experience, but then later in later years, I reflected back and I, I realized, oh, I've had some strange things that happened to me. Why hadn't I thought about them until now? Why did I suddenly kind of just remember those now? Um, in 1986, a few days after we buried my father who died on New Year's Eve, 1986, uh, I was in my bedroom home from uh, Christmas break from university. And uh, suddenly I, I realized there was a presence in the room. I rolled over and saw this specter coming through the bedroom win- uh, bedroom door rather. And it was wearing my sweatshirt. I recognized the, uh, the decal, the glow in the dark. It was a luminescent decal in the pitch dark. I could see it. And um, just to make a, a long story short, um, I didn't believe it was happening. I closed my, I called out to it. It, the only other person in the house was my mother. It wasn't her. I closed my eyes. I opened my eyes again. Now I'm staring up at the ceiling and floating parallel to me, stretched out sort of horizontally above me was my doppelganger. It was me. And I waved my arms, rubbed my eyes, waved my arms, and it just dissipated. And then got sucked into a tiny, like into a, in a, a corner of the room and it was gone. And, um, wow. so I, you know, I've, I've always, I've kind of, you know, grappled with that over the years. And I guess maybe I pushed it deep down inside and just kind of forgot about it. And then, uh, it wasn't until many years later when I was doing a radio program, I, I thought, yeah, now I've had an experience. And, uh, more recently I, my late partner, we had a radio project that was in the works, uh, which later evolved into a podcast called the rock and roll twilight zone, our Gary Patterson is a rock and roll, was a rock and roll historian. And um, in the weeks leading up to his, in the months actually leading up to his death, we were working on this radio project and we were getting close to landing our first radio station. And um, so he called me a few, a few nights before he died. And we had this kind of strange conversation. Um, And then he called me as it turned out the day that he died, the evening that he had died. And had even a stranger conversation. And um, 
the next day, I learned actually on Coast to Coast, he was a frequent guest on Coast to Coast, our Gary Patterson died that Friday night. And um, it turns out it, I had no incoming messages on my phone that, that Friday night. There was no record of anyone calling, no incoming, no outgoing calls. He called me. We talked for an hour. I wandered around the house as I want to do when I'm lost in conversation, the phone to my ear. My wife remembers me wandering through the kitchen with kind of a glazed look on my face. She made a mental note to ask me who I was talking to. The next morning when I told her Gary's dead, she said, didn't you talk to him last night? I said, yeah. And I found out at the funeral he had died probably two hours before we had, we talked on the phone. So I've had some paranormal experiences, but I'm I'm conflicted by them. I don't know. Yeah. Really so anyway, that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, that's that's great. And uh, I had a similar experience. My um, ex-wife, her mother used to preserve flowers from as a business she had she would preserve flowers from funerals and weddings and things and when my mom passed away she had died of lung cancer in 1999 and she uh offered to preserve the flowers a, a little bouquet from the the funeral for me and she did that and she put it into this nice case which my wife and I now have and it's sitting over on the counter and when my ex-wife first brought it home, we were both standing at a bar in our, our apartment and we were looking at it and we were both standing close to it. And I moved in to look at it really close to see the detail because she would dry the flowers, break them apart after she took a picture of them. And then she would reassemble the picture or the, the flowers after she had hand painted them all back to a color. So they would be preserved forever. And then she would seal them in this glass case. And as I was bending down, looking close at the case, I could smell cigarettes. Now, me and my ex-wife, we did not smoke at all. It was a non-smoking apartment. And I was kind of taken back by it. And I stepped back a couple steps and the smell wasn't there. I was like, somebody's in the building smoking. And my ex was like, I don't smell anything. I said, get close to the flowers. And she got close to the flowers and she's like, oh my God, that smells like your mom's cigarette smoke. And I moved my head back in and I took a smell and it did. And we stepped back and we looked at each other and then we went a little bit closer again and took a smell and it was gone and never smelled it again. And it was almost like she was there around those flowers, looking at those flowers and was still having a good old smoke in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I could never explain it. And we never really talked about it after it happened, you know, so I can kind of understand, like, you kind of just put those things in the back burner and not think about them. Ultimately, the questions are more important than the answers, I think. And what I, what I think I've come to realize over 20 plus years doing this kind of content um, is that I mentioned, you know, the news earlier and how important that is. And certainly, you know, what we're living through right now is sort of taken over everything and it's taken over. I have a, an entirely new show that I do weekday afternoons um, and it's dedicated almost entirely to, you know, lockdowns and the latest information on vaccines and the, 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 the loss of our civil liberties and this March to, towards authoritarianism and totalitarianism and Australia is that our future and so forth. 
but back to the 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 other arena the the unexplained the supernatural the paranormal i've realized actually ultimately that is even more important because those are the fundamental questions who are we why are we here what happens to us when we die are we alone in the universe those four questions really are the be all and the end all right that's ultimately that's all that matters yep everything else that's happening to us as we live out this our spiritual lives on a physical plane um, is school. It's kindergarten, including COVID. Yeah, well said. So thinking of all the people that you've talked to or that you've interviewed, who has either made you the the most nervous to talk to or the, the one that you found the most fascinating to talk to? I suppose when I first got behind a, a microphone, you know, even if I was talking to the uh, the custodian at the radio station, I probably would have been nervous. Just something about knowing you're speaking to a huge audience and uh, is kind of nerve wracking, I suppose. Uh, but after you become comfortable uh, behind the microphone and you're not thinking about the number of people listening or you're really only, you're not even in many cases, even sitting across from somebody. It's just this discarnate voice coming through the ether. Uh, so that takes away a lot of the, the um, uh, anxiety or intimidation. I mean, I've talked to, you know, political leaders, cabinet ministers, leaders of federal parties, celebrities, you know, rock stars and so forth. I don't, uh, maybe it's a product of getting older. I just, I don't, I don't, um, or maybe it's a question of, you know, having your priorities kind of straight and that takes, I guess, a level of maturity. I just, I don't get nervous talking to, to people. Well, then which ones were you most like excited to talk to or most fascinated, mm. fascinated about talking to? Hmm. Yeah, that's always the Lollapalooza question. I know you start saying, <laughs> you know, actors and actresses and rock stars. Yeah, um, it's probably not who you think. It's not kind of the bigger they are, you know, the more excited you get. It's who it, it depends on what they're bringing to the table. Um, you know, I've talked to like whistleblowers, former FBI agents or uh former you know pentagon officials and it's not it's not who they are it's what they are and what they have to say that is i think the most exciting or the most compelling but i i don't know if i can give you a specific name i mean i have my my favorites people that i just think are always full value whenever they come onto the show, whatever they say, you know, I know it's going to be good. It's going to be captivating. It's going to be compelling. And I call it, I, I kind of call it my pantheon. Uh, Jim Mars was certainly one of those people um, ruled by secrecy and alien agenda and um, crossfire, you know, one of the foremost JFK assassination researchers that I got to know Jim a bit. We, we had dinner a few times. Uh, he was always fantastic. John Rappaport, I don't know if you know John, no more fake news, former, well, he was, he was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize 
he's a really solid journalist. He's over 80 now, but his, his energy is boundless. And he writes um, a blog at no more fake news. That is just incredible. It's hard to get him on the show now because he's just, you know, he, he realizes his, his timeline is short and he just needs to get the information out. So, uh, but John Rappaport is certainly in the pantheon. Um, on the UFO beat, and I know that's your beat, people like Richard Dolan, who is like, he was, I don't know if he was a Rhodes Scholar, but he was a Rhodes Scholar candidate. He's just a top-notch writer and historian. And and um, uh, let's see, who else? I had Dr. Edgar Mitchell on, sixth man to walk on the moon. Um, got to know Paul Hellyer quite a bit. Paul was the former... Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and uh, Defense Minister. We just lost him a few, uh, what, a month ago, two months ago. Uh, he was on the program many, many times. Highest ranking G7 cabinet official, I guess, at that time, back in, what, what was it, 2005, to talk about the fact that UFOs are real, as real as the planes flying over your head, he said. Um, yeah, so... There've been some greats. I've been very fortunate. It sounds like it. Well, 20 years in the business and uh, man, your, your content, like I said before is, is amazing. And, you know, when you were talking about AM radio, it just, it brings me back to being a, a young boy, being raised by an older mother. You know, she, I was the, basically the eighth child of eight and, all my brothers and sisters were grown and out of the house by the time I was like six, seven years old. So I was kind of like the new baby in the house, but my mom never treated me as such. And I used to fall asleep at night and she would listen to Larry King and she would listen to like Sally, Jesse, Raphael. <laughs> and those were the people I kind of had in my ears all the time when I would go to sleep as a kid and listening to AM radio. And then it was, a uh, uh, Mark Scott, he was a big conspiracy talker here in Detroit, at Detroit radio and uh, UFOs and, and all of that stuff. And I just remember that And every time I listen to your show, when it starts and I hear that intro music and you do your intro dialogue, not only does it set the, the show up, but yours is probably one of the only shows I've heard that actually as a conspiracy talk show and UFO talk show, it really sets a atmosphere almost like getting into a, a radio drama or something like that. It, it just, it pulls me right in. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm 51 years old. My memory goes quite easily. You know, my wife teases me now about having some timers, but um, <laughs> you know, but it pulls me all the way back to that time where there was just this atmosphere of the unknown, the getting the information from all these different people, instead of the mainstream media, the, the, the go to one station to the another station, they're all talking the same stuff and you hear it once and you know, you don't want to hear it anymore. Okay. Where's something interesting. So Going off of that, with everybody talking now after the UFO report that was released by the U.S. government finally going, yeah, okay, there's something going on. 
were looking from 2004 and up, and they totally dismissed the first 70 years since Roswell of, you know, UFOs. But we're just going to look from 2004 to now because, well, we got radar signatures and other things. But a lot of talk has been, and we're hoping to get Lou Elizondo on the uh, show here. He's, uh, I've been talking to his manager, so we're hopefully, hopefully going to be working something out here real soon. But there's a lot of the threat. Do you think there's an actual threat? Do you think maybe just some of them pose a threat? Uh, what is your take on the whole threat narrative? Right, right. That's a big question, too. Well, first, I should explain what my, I always put my biases out there. Um, I'm an Orthodox Christian. I believe in the biblical narrative. I believe it's truth. Uh, And so everything, and I mentioned earlier that I'm conflicted by much of what I talk about, but the audience wants it. And so, you know, this is part of my job. I, I talk about these things, even though I'm personally conflicted because they don't necessarily square with the biblical narrative and the UFO ET issue is one such. So how does it square? Well, there's only one way. I mean, they're not, I don't believe intergalactic interlopers that have no connection with the Bible. Um, So they, in order for them to square with the biblical narrative and fit in with the human story, um, the only way to me, it makes sense is they're interdimensional and they're from the, they're, they're angelic. They're in angelic realm. And so you have God's messengers, the angels, and you have fallen angels. So, I mean, that's not a popular viewpoint in the, uh, in the world of ufology because you have a, a fairly large contingent who believes that these are en- uh, enlightened spiritual uh, beings from another planet that are here to save us from ourselves. They're going to, you know, provide the cure for cancer and they're going to save us from man-made global warming and all of this stuff. And I don't subscribe to that. I mean, entirely. I mean, if we're dealing with the angelic realm, we're dealing with good angels and, you know, the black hats. So um, when you look at the alien abduction phenomenon, it certainly sort of fits with that, that, that line of thinking because some people have very, uplifting and wonderful close encounters uh with with these beings you have others who have just horrific torturous uh, experiences poked and prodded and and um and so forth and um so that's how i see it i i I see it as a, a spiritual partially spiritual this idea that angels and and the that angels are purely spirit is i think incorrect um, because people say, well, if they're spirit, you know, why, did, why do they need to fly around in spacecraft and, and, and things like that? I, I think that is a more of a modern interpretation of angels. I think they are, they can be solid corp- corporeal beings with technology. There's nothing, you know, in the Bible to suggest that that can't be. So um, I, th- I think we're having, you know, positive and negative encounters and i think the um the fallen angels that we're dealing with certainly uh do not have our best interests in mind they are what are they here for why are they abducting us uh are they raising some sort of a um an army and you go back to 
you know, Genesis, I think it's Genesis six and talking about uh, fallen angels taking human wives and producing offspring hybrids, Nephilim, right? Mm -hmm. They were the giants that were on the earth then. And then later after the flood, um, you know, it's possible that that's what we're seeing again, that these are the, the days of Noah and, and the alien abduction phenomenon is um, kind of a reboot of what was happening in Genesis six. Yeah. Very interesting. Have you uh, ever talked to or heard of uh, Michael Heiser? Yeah, I've had um, just a second. I've got his book right here. Oh, it's way over in the other table. Anyway. Yeah. He just got um, uh, Enoch um, volume two, a, a companion to Enoch volume two. I had Michael on a couple of months ago. Yeah. I had, I had stumbled upon his uh, writings and stuff. He's a biblical scholar, very knowledgeable person. And he breaks down the whole, uh, you know, the, what is Satan and the, the shaitan and, you know, the adversary and the shiny ones. And uh, I have one of his books that, and I can't recall the, the name of it, but uh, it was fascinating because that's basically his stance as well was that these uh, these beings are some some type of a interdimensional being that it's either for good or bad, maybe the angel demon type of reference. But my thing is on the flip side of that, if these things are good and going to save ourselves from, you know, or save us from ourselves, then why don't they just make an appearance and tell us that, that we're doing something wrong, who they are and real, why all the secrecy, you know, that, and, and when you're secretive, you're being covert. It seems like to me, that's when you're up to something nefarious. So why not show yourselves and tell us, Hey, you're flying around in spacecraft. I'm sure you can speak our language or find a way around it. Why not tell us? Hey, you guys are, are burning up the planet with global warming or your nuclear weapons are, you know, very dangerous or whatever the case may be. So, you know, that's where I kind of shake my head and go, I don't, I don't think they're benevolent. I think they're indifferent. I think they're just here and there's different ones. Like we've interviewed people from Michigan here that were experiencers that have all seen, like my wife and I have all seen these triangles that are massive. We saw one hovering above the road. It had to be 300 feet on a side. It blacked out the sky. It was solid black and it was like absorbing light from the street lights below it, almost like a camouflage type of thing. So you wouldn't see it. It made no noise nothing. It sat there. And as we went around and got on the expressway, I had the most intense sense of dread ever. She's asking me, when did our military get something like that? And being a science guy and a space science guy and a former pilot and being around military aircraft, my younger life, and my dad was a pilot and everything, seeing this thing, it was like, that is not a plane. At first, I thought it was a plane that was missing Detroit Metro Airport over here, but those weren't landing lights. Those were recessed glowing orbs up inside of it. And the thing had to be about 30 feet thick. Hmm. So it was, it was 
massive. And then it didn't bank, it hovered. And as we started to head south, it rotated. So it moved parallel to us along the road. And I'll, I only thought, get out, get out, get out. Now, experiencers that we've interviewed who've seen the same type of craft, because that's what started this whole thing for us was we saw this thing in 2018, March of 2018. We were like, okay, we're not crazy. We're teachers. We're educated. We don't believe in this stuff, you know, so much, you know, it was never part of our worldview or anything. And we saw this and we wanted to find out what other people saw that night. You know, did anybody see anything? And we started getting all these stories in and 4,000 members on our Facebook group later, we were like, maybe we should start talking about this. And then we met these experiencers who saw these triangles and they were getting messages as they were driving by these things that were saying, get away. You don't belong here. And now their lives from 1994 onward have been changed in, in many different ways. And it's kind of like our lives have been changed now because now we've started this podcast. We get to talk to people like you and other experiencers, and we do kind of focus on Michigan, but we're, we want to talk to everybody to figure out why was this 300 foot long triangle floating over a city near Detroit? And it's, you know, and that's why I kind of bring up the whole threat thing. I guess you could consider it a threat when you got airliners taken off from Metro airport that might run into it. I don't know. It's been, it's been a crazy ride and I don't know if you want to add anything into that. Maybe you've talked to people who had the same kind of experiences. Well, my, uh, my perspective has always been one of it's not experiential. As I say, I've not had a sighting and I can only pretend to imagine how that could, would, would um, alter the trajectory of your life. If you, if you had witnessed something like that. So, you know, it's easy for me to sit back and say, well, here's this phenomenon and I, and I have to put it through my, my biblical filter, my faith filter. And, and what comes out the other side is, you know, these are intergalactic or sorry, these are not intergalactic. These are interdimensional and they're, and they're from the angelic realm. And that's the way we need to look at it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I, I guess at kind of a disadvantage, not having experienced something like that. Part of me wishes I, I had, um, or maybe, you know, be careful what you wish for because right. it can just, it can take over. Right. Um, I guess the only other thing that I would add to that is the, you know, the possibility that much of what we're seeing in the skies these days, I think could quite possibly be um, made in the USA. Um, You know, when you consider back in the late 1950s, Boeing uh, were, were were releasing in the media, these reports about how close they were getting to achieving anti-gravitics. That's 60 years ago going on 70 years ago. And then all of a sudden in the early 1960s, it was like this iron curtain descended and there was nothing. It was a total blackout. They never talked about it. They never uttered it again. So imagine, you know, if they, if they were on the cusp of something 70 years ago and where they're at now, 
like Ben Rich from Skunk Works used to say, we're 50 years beyond your wildest imagination. And we have things out in the desert in a hangar uh, you, can't, you can't even conceive of. If you've seen it on Star Trek or Star Wars, we've been there, we've done that, you know, and we've, we now have the technology to send E.T. home. Hmm. So there's that to consider as well. True. Okay, so with that being said, over the course of the next five to 10 years, where do you think that they're going to go with their investigations with UFOs or UAPs? I think it will be it will continue to sort of stumble along as it has for the last 70. Okay. I don't think we should get our hopes up that uh, a president or a vice president or um, a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is going to stand in the Rose Garden and make this huge disclosure announcement. I don't see that ever happening. Um, one, because maybe the people in government don't possess the truth. Maybe, maybe, you know, after, after Roswell in 47, um, you know, the technology was kind of handed over to the private sector. It's all very limited access projects where even the, um, the head of intelligence for the joint chiefs of staff doesn't have a right to know. And we've had recently revelations that a former, um, uh, you know, top, one of the top ranking military officials in the country stumbled onto some black ops program, tried to get read in and he was told, no, you don't have a right to know. So I don't see that forthcoming from government anytime soon. But but also maybe more to the point in what I was talking about, this being more of a, an element of spiritual warfare in the biblical narrative, um, it is unknowable to, to people who are by and large materialists and are just totally dismissive of, you know, who we are, what we are, why we're here, and the 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 human story and the and sort of the 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 storyline the story arc of the human story and where we're headed they won't even go there so for them to try to come to terms with um these intelligences these interdimensional intelligences and what they truly are is just you know beyond their capability perhaps or their willingness to go there Switching gears a little bit to Canada, um, we had Johanna James on from the UK talking about ancient technologies, and you know she does a lot of these tours. She's an actress and a comedian, but she does tours over in Egypt looking at the 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 evidence for high technology. But Canada does, and the reason I bring her up is because we were talking to her about UFOs, and she's like, "Ah, UFOs are not very big over here in the UK." And I was like, well, okay, well, there's Rendlesham Forest and, and things like that. But as a younger person, she hasn't been exposed to them so much. And she was also stating the fact that the, the, the sky at night over in London is so light polluted and pollution and stuff. They can't see the sky very well anyways. Is there like a UFO case that stands out to you in Canada that you would like everybody in the States to know about like our Roswell. 
Yeah, it would probably be Shag Harbor, the Shag Harbor UFO incident, which took place in Nova Scotia in 1967, which is kind of an interesting year because there was a kind of a, there certainly was a UFO flap throughout North America in 1967. So you had Shag. 1966 was huge here in Michigan. Right. So, so much so that J. Allen Hynek came out and he made everybody look like fools and said it was swamp gas. Yeah. Yeah. Project Blue Book. Um, so 67 Shag Harbor. We had this. It's it's uh, one of our best documented cases, and it is considered one of the very few government documented cases because there were RCMP reports and military reports and uh, this, this craft that was seen by a number of people flying over this, this tiny fishing village kind of crash landed in this cove off of uh, the coast of Nova Scotia. Uh, There were rescue divers sent out because they assumed it was a, it was a plane. Um, People that, uh, you know, jumped in fishing boats to help and assist uh, described this green illuminescent foam that was on the surface of the water. I guess no one had the presence of mind, to, you know, to scoop up a sample and uh, preserve it for posterity. Um, divers went down. They didn't discover a craft. Other, other vessels reported lights under the surface of the water traveling at high speed. Um, so did it crash or was it actually, you know, diving was it a submersible an undersea an unidentified flying object um reports you know the military made a, a report it was you know un- inconclusive but um shag harbor is is seen as one of our best and most documented ufo cases uh there was also a case in falcon lake which is in northern manitoba i believe it was an individual who had a close encounter with a craft. Uh, he got so close to it. Um, his chest, he, just, he, he suffered like second degree burns to his chest and his face. And there are some very well-known photographs you can see online of uh, this individual whose name escapes me. Um, the Falcon Lake UFO incident is very famous. Um, there's another, another case called the... Um, Oh, now it took place near Ottawa. Uh, the Carp Guardian case, I think it's called. People yeah. saw another a UFO land crash in a field. Um, there's some very blurry video of the incident. This took place, I think, in the early 1980s. A number of witnesses have come forward. Some people think it was just a complete fabrication. And um, those would be three of the okay. better. Yeah, that was uh, actually it was in the um, the early '90s. It took place just uh, in in, in an area called West Carlton, Ontario, near Ottawa. All right, something else I wanted to quickly talk with you about, and, and it's funny that you mention the uh, gentleman who had chest burns from a close encounter with a UFO. Lou Elizondo was recently on Tucker Carlson just, I think, Friday, and he was they brought him on to talk about how the UAP task force is now going to be given a permanent capability instead of a temporary one. So 
He said that it does a few things. It forces the Secretary of Defense to annually report to the Congress what we've learned about eight or UAPs. Uh, work it, it makes a strong ties to work with our allies on the matter. And these are the ones that I highlighted that stood out to me. Requires any recovered UAP material to be reported to the Congress and report any adverse medical effects by our pilots that have come in close proximity to these UAPs. What do you think about those statements from Mr. Elizondo and what that is implying? Well, I don't know about Luis Elizondo, but the um, this was part of a, um, what do they call that? A U.S. defense appropriation bill. Yeah, the NDAA, I believe it was, and it was an amendment to that. That's right. So in other words, they hand over a bag of money to the Pentagon and they say, but it's contingent on, you know, this little piece of the bill here. You have to, if you want the money, you got to do this, this, and this. So the, um, the sponsor of the bill, um, I believe there was a Democrat from Arizona. Was that was it Gossar? Uh, I'm trying to remember. He was a uh, anyway member of the House of Representatives, and he I had thought a, I thought it was a Republican as well. I thought it was. Uh, oh, the, yes, it's um, Marco it's, Rubio. Marco Rubio from Florida. Yeah. Right. So you have, uh, I guess, he was like the co-sponsor in the Senate, and then you had this House of Representative Democrat. Yes. Um, it's interesting. I what I would like to know is, are they contactees? You know what. What propelled them? What motivated them, you know, to want to introduce this amendment to the um, appropriation bill? Uh, you know, Rubio has been very outspoken since the um, the uh, the Tic Tac UFO video came out. And his concern was that this could be technology in the hands of America's adversaries. And uh, he, he, you know, firmly believes this is a national security issue. Uh, but above and beyond that, have they had experiences? Um, it was um, Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader, uh, Democrat Harry Reid of, is he with Utah or Nevada, who was responsible for the creation of the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program that Elizondo headed in the Pentagon and then partnered with uh, Robert Big Bigelow. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always curious as to why Harry Reid would get on board with something like that and subject himself, you know, himself to potential ridicule and, and so forth. Is he a contactee? It'd be very interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, we're going to be running out of time here. So I just want to ask you a couple other questions and uh, we'll let you go. Um, do you have any ties to Michigan? We always ask that. Um, well, first of all, I, I have I have deep emotional ties to the United States in general. Um, my ancestors came up from New Jersey in, I believe, the 1840s and settled in Ontario. And um, I, I love I'm a you know, uh, I love American culture. I love I love baseball. Uh, I've taken my boys to see a tiger game at your wonderful Comerica Park. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. The jewel. And Major League Baseball. Um, I follow, 
your, your politics very closely. Um, I often consider myself to be more, I guess, emotionally and, uh, I don't know, psychologically American than I do Canadian. Sometimes right. the very sort of left of center country up here. Um, sometimes I feel like you know, the only Republican in a, you know, a registered Republican in a state of 34 million or 35 million registered Democrats. <laughs> it's <laughs> We don't want to talk politics, but uh, Michigan, aside from, I know I've spent some time in Michigan. It's beautiful. Um, especially when you get out into the, you know, the hinterlands and um, uh, lots of trees. I love trees. People think of Michigan. They think of the, you know, the bigger, the bigger cities. They think of or the college towns, Ann Arbor and Lansing, or they think of Detroit, of course, but it's a huge state. And uh, when you look at the upper peninsula, my gosh, it's just so rugged. And, and it's just, it's, it, uh, it's very similar to North of Superior here in Ontario, you know, heavily forested, lots of fresh water. Uh, I think geographically we have a lot in common with Michigan here in Ontario. Yeah. I remember as a, as a, sixth grader back in 1982 our school trip was to get on the train and go to toronto ah. we we spent a, a weekend there as sixth graders running around downtown toronto that's you know that's how you know it was back in the day when you could you know take a a, a school full of sixth graders there's two classes of us so probably about 60 kids and a couple parent chaperones and we got let loose on the streets of Toronto and everybody, I just remember everybody just being so cool and gracious and, and very nice with all of us. And, uh, you know, staying in a hotel room and I could just imagine what the other guests were thinking when 60 kids show up <laughs> that, you know, that must've been a Michigan thing going to Toronto in sixth grade because my sixth grade did the same thing. I think it had I remember something the, to do with the trains. Yeah, I remember ran. the train ride. You too. You know, they're still talking about that up here. They're still cleaning up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all Michelle's fault. Oh, nice. <laughs> all right. So do you have any upcoming radio shows or podcasts you would like to plug and get out there? And uh, anything in the future you got coming up that you want to let our audience know about? Sure. Thank you for that. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but this Friday and Saturday, I'll be hosting Coast to Coast. So Friday, October the 8th and Saturday, October the 9th. Um, and then, uh, of course, my uh, my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast drops every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. People can subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Um, my Sunday show, the conspiracy show, which airs out of Toronto on AM 740 Zoomer radio. It's a really cool station. It's 50,000 Watts. It's a clear channel, which means, um, at night we get to power our transmitter up instead of down. It has the largest broadcast footprint of any radio station in North America. It's heard uh, on the dial all the way down South to the Carolinas from Maine to Minnesota. And, um, uh, let's see what else. Well, and then you, I have you, my, you have a website, correct? I have a, a website. Thank you for that. Strangeplanet.ca. That's probably the best thing. Just go there. Everything is right there. Strangeplanet.ca. Well, Richard, it was great having you on. Again, I can't thank you enough. And we are so happy that you came on and spent some time with us. So thank you very much. 
My pleasure. Thanks for putting up with me. You know, not only a very interesting conversation, but the tone of Richard's voice is so melodic. He is the absolute best when it comes to being a storyteller. Well, and, and not just that, but after studying English and studying theater and all of the public speaking classes and diction classes, you know, just hearing his voice, the way that he presents himself and the stories behind the name. Yeah, he's a, he's a definite professional. Well, and I know that there's the one part that, you know, I connect to the story that he talks about after his father passed away. Oh, right. You were telling me a little bit of about that. You know, and where you were sharing your story about that smoke smell from the flowers that were preserved for, you know, your mother's funeral. Right. Um, you know, I think about my own mom's passing 10 years ago. And that is one of the things that I wished and hoped for that after she left this world, that I would get some sort of sense that she was still with me. And not just the occasional cardinal in, in the yard, but some sort of, you know, sighting or hearing. There, there was a time that I could still hear her voice. Mm-hmm. And as I get older and time goes on, it, it's a hard thing to remember. And here he had this experience with a doppelganger, but it was still a, a, an experience after right. losing someone so close to you. Yeah, it was a a really moving story. And then when I experienced that smell around my mother's flowers, and it was really bizarre. And I remember, too, I had a, not shortly after that, I had a strange, it was actually, it was a very horrifying and terrifying dream about my mother being locked away in her mausoleum and fighting and screaming and trying to kick her way out of it. It was, it it was one of the most horrific dreams. And I think that scarred my brain because I can't forget that dream. It was so real, but you know, I had known that she had passed away and I was there when she, uh, slightly after when she had passed away. So I knew, you know, that couldn't have been a possibility, but you know, just things that your psyche has to try to deal with when you lose somebody close to you. So yeah, it was a very touching moment. And, uh, well, that's the whole thing. As far as the psyche and the dreams, that could be, you know, a whole nother episode down the road <laughs> Yeah, with dream analysis and the psyche, you know, once you're in, you know, REM sleep. Yep. All right, Michelle, I think we're going to wrap this one up. It was a great conversation with Richard Serrett tonight. Man, just amazing. I don't know anything else to It was to a add. good night. It, it was. was. A, it was a good night. We were very happy to have him on and be his last appearance on any other show or podcast. It was just amazing. So yeah, thank yeah. you, Richard, when you're listening to this. Thank you once again. We cannot thank you enough for coming yeah. on our podcast. Hopefully one of these days we'll get back over to our neighbors of the north uh, when it's a little bit easier to travel over the Ambassador Bridge. Yeah, I don't know, man. Trudeau is, uh, I guess he won the election again over there. So well, lockdowns for everybody. It's like an Oprah to... show. You uh, get a lockdown. <laughs> you, you get, get a lockdown. lockdown. <laughs> you get a lockdown. 
Ridiculous. But anyways, that's a whole nother conversation to have at a different time. So, all right, Michelle, I think we're going to wrap this up. Let's yeah, do this. Have a great night, everyone. Have a good night, everybody. And remember, keep your eyes to the sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.